Praise the Lord. Now notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. It says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So God wants you to have not only faith, he wants you to have famous faith. I said famous faith. I mean, people all over the world have heard about your faith. Praise the Lord. Now, a little background here. Paul visited the city of Thessalonica around the year 50 A.D., and the Bible tells us he only stayed there for three weeks before he was chased out by an angry mob that was incited by the Jews, the Jewish leaders, because of their jealousy. However, during his brief visit, uh, many people came to Christ, especially among the Greeks. And so Paul wanted to be certain that these new believers did not fall away from the faith in his absence, you see. So he first sent Timothy to encourage them, and then he wrote this letter. And actually, it may interest you to know this, but 1 Thessalonians is thought by many to be the very first epistle that Paul ever wrote. And it may be the oldest book in the New Testament. Actually, it was written before the Gospels and before the book of Acts. And in this letter, Paul recounts his experience with the believers in that place, in the city of Thessalonica. And he's reminding them how they heard and received the Gospel. But I want you to notice in verse 6, he says this, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've been talking about discipleship, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And this is not a minor topic. No understanding of the Christian life would be complete without an understanding of discipleship. And so this is actually the sixth in a series of lessons. So I would encourage you to go back, you know, through the wonder of technology. Go back and listen to the previous messages. I know it will bless you. It will help you. A disciple is a student of the Word and the Spirit. A disciple is a student of the Word and the Spirit. He is one who learns from the Lord as he is led by the Lord to become like the Lord so that he may lead others to the Lord. So he said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. The Greek word translated imitators, mimites, mimites, means a follower. In fact, the New King James Version, some of you have that. It says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. So this means more than having faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It means more than being assured of your salvation and then you go on your merry way and live life as you see fit. A true follower continues with the Lord. He patterns his life after Christ. A disciple is an imitator of Christ. See, in verse 6, he's really telling them, you became disciples of Christ. A disciple is an imitator of Christ. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Now, 
There's a slight problem when we read that verse and we talk about that. When we hear the word imitation, we instinctively think of something that's fake, duplicate, not real, a knockoff. So today, you know, we have uh, uh, imitation leathers. Maybe in your car there's imitation leather on the seating. We, we have imitation pearls, imitation silk, and, and imitation wood. The, 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 the flooring in my office is imitation wood. It's actually rubber that's painted to look like wood, you see. But the word, the Greek word, mimites, translated imitating, doesn't mean counterfeit. Because you have to understand this. In Paul's day, first century AD, they didn't have fake wood. They only had real wood. They didn't have imitation pearls. They only had real pearls. They didn't have faux fur. They had, they had only genuine fur. So for them, the word imitation doesn't mean fake. That's not what this Greek word means at all, you see. An imitator of Christ is not someone who is pretending to be something he is not. An imitator of Christ is not pretending to be something he is not. That's called hypocrisy. Instead, each day he makes the conscious decision. And that means it's something that's deliberate. It's something that involves thought. It's something that you purpose to do. It doesn't just happen, you know, by accident. He makes the conscious decision to let the indwelling Christ shine through him. That's an imitator of Christ. Every day, he lets Christ shine through him. He's not putting something on like a disguise. He's letting something loose. He's actually taking his true place. His true identity is being revealed. He is not hopelessly trying to copy someone he has never known. Like, like a fan, you know, copies a, a celebrity that he idolizes from a distance. No. He not only knows Christ... There's something better than that. He is known by Christ. A disciple is not just someone who knows the Lord. The Lord knows him. And that's better. I said that's better. I mean, who, someone tell me, what is the, the last name of the prime minister of India? You guys are a little slow. I'll help you out today. His name is Modi, isn't it? <laughs> last time I checked. All right. So how many of you know that already? Just me. Okay. Praise the Lord. How many of you are here? Can I see your hand? So if, if, if uh, Narendra Modi walks by, I could say on the sidewalk, hey, Modi, but he doesn't know me. He would just like, you're not even paying attention. But if he's walking down the street and he says, hey, John Routon, everybody around me would say, he knows you, right? So there's a lot of people who know who Jesus is. That ain't the question. Does he know who you is? A lot of people call his name. That ain't the deal. Is he calling your name? That's a disciple. Christ chose him. And Christ is actively at work in him, molding his life the way the potter shapes the clay. How do I know if something is genuine? Well, as I examine it, examine it closely, I see that the article has all of the qualities of the bona fide real thing. Not some of the qualities, all of the qualities. So let's say I'm looking at something that is purported to be a pearl. Well, maybe it's shiny like a pearl, but it's not the color of a pearl. So it's not a real pearl, right? Maybe it's round like a pearl, but it's not smooth like a pearl. See, a real disciple is not someone who has one or two qualities of Christ. That would be a fake. He has all of 
the characteristics and qualities of Christ. However, on the other hand, do not be discouraged. There are no perfect pearls. There are no perfect diamonds. Every diamond has a flaw. When I married my wife, before, actually before we were married, you know, I bought her an engagement ring. And so, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So I had to buy this little microscopic diamond. You know, no one can see it. It's like a, it's like a diamond fleck, you know, piece of a diamond. And, uh, you know, but, but I went to these stores, you know, and, and I learned a little something. And every diamond has a flaw. You can look through a, a, a lens and you can see how it's got something, some imperfection. Every diamond. So every Christian in this life has some imperfection. If you don't, we'd like to meet you after the service. But, you know, every Christian has some imperfection, see? So if you have some imperfections, that only means you're genuine. You're not a fake. It's actually the people who look flawless, they're the fake. Let's move on. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, notice another scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, in the English Standard Version says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, it's the same Greek word, mimites. And from this word, we derive the English word mimic or mime. So this verse encourages us to emulate God, to imitate, emulate God the same way that little children copy the example that their parents give them. In many ways, and many of you are single, but one day you'll find out, those of you who are married, you know, you don't have to hide your head in shame, but let's just be honest. In many ways, our children are a miniature replica of the parents. I notice whenever my son misbehaves, it's my, actually really my fault. <laughs> my wife tells me, he's just like you, right? In fact, sometimes it's hard to discipline your children because it's like looking into a little mirror of yourself, a miniature version of Lloyd right there. <laughs> right? Praise the Lord. And they not only resemble our appearance, but they model our behavior. All right. As little children imitate their fathers, you should imitate your heavenly father. A disciple, listen carefully, a disciple is not only born of God, he is raised by God. A disciple is not just born of God, he is raised by God. He grows up in the house of God. That's the difference. That's the difference. Now we have seen, and I don't mean this to be in any way you know, hurtful. But we have seen, for example, many young people who at a young age, in childhood, they were separated from their parents. Perhaps they were placed into a uh, boarding school in a hostel somewhere. And, uh, and, and in some cases for many, many years away from their parents. And so what we observe is that these folks have the same genes I don't mean blue genes, I mean chromosomes. The same genes as their parents. They, they resemble them in appearance. They have many of the same personality characteristics, but yet they're different than their parents. They, they speak differently. They, 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 they have a different accent. You know, they're from, the family's from uh, Twain Song. The young boy talks like a Deliite because he was raised there. They grew up there, see? Or, or, or they, they think differently than their parents. Why is that? Because they were not developed by the influence of their parents. They have the same nature, but not the same nurture. Every Christian has the nature of God. 
Every, every born-again Christian has the life, zoe, the life and nature of God in his spirit. But we're not talking about nature. We're talking about nurture. If a Christian is not trained in the word, he will think differently than Christ. He will not speak the same language as Christ. Even when he tries to read the Bible, figuratively speaking, he speaks with an accent, a foreign accent. Why? Because he wasn't really raised and developed under the influence of Christ. Are you listening to me? His outward behavior will not be transformed. The way he lives will not be radically changed until his mind is renewed with the Word of God. And a renewed mind is not just a biblically educated mind. I know that. Oh, I've heard that before. A renewed mind is a mind where the thoughts are stayed on him, focused on him. Let me read to you the Phillips translation. As children copy their fathers, as God's children, you are to copy him. So, again, parents know this, and those who are going to be parents should know this. Little children are keen observers of things. It's amazing. I mean, even like little, little guys, you know, like, you know, two, three, four, whatever, they're, 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 they're keen observers of things. You don't think they notice a lot of stuff. But here's what many parents fail to realize. Every word and every action of theirs is being silently recorded by that child. His ears are a recording device. His eyes are a video camera. And even some little offhanded comment, some untoward word that escapes our lips, gets recorded on that little device. And not only that, but it gets played back. When you least expect it. Sometimes when you have company over for dinner. You know, you, you, you say one bad, you get angry and you say one bad word, profanity, cursing, like that. And then you go like, sorry, sorry, I shouldn't have said that, forgive me. And okay, fine, we all forget it. And then when your parents come over for dinner, your little boy walks right up to the door and says that same word. <laughs> where did he get that from? I have no idea. No, you know, we know exactly where he got it from. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Now, in the same way, as little children are keen observers of their parents, in the same way, the imitator of Christ constantly keeps his eyes on the Lord. And what I mean by that really is Jesus is foremost in his thoughts. Say like you say, well, well, I've got Jesus in my heart. I know a lot of people have Jesus in their heart and live like scoundrels. Is Jesus foremost in your thoughts? He wasn't when you, when you lied. He wasn't when you stole something. He wasn't when you beat up your wife. Was Jesus foremost in your thoughts? See, that means, that means he's not tucked away in some compartment in the back of your mind in some dusty cellar somewhere. He's front and center. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. So, whatever captures our imagination, that has to do with our thoughts. Whatever captures our imagination sets the course of our lives. We do what we see. We become what we watch. Not only little children do that, big children too. For example, let me give you a scripture verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same 
image. So notice this verse says, by beholding, we are transformed. By beholding, we are transformed into the same image. As we gaze on him, we become more like him. As we gaze on him, well, how can I see him? Well, I don't see him with my physical eye, obviously. I see him with the eyes of my heart. As we gaze on him, we are changed, radically changed into his image. So really in this verse, Paul is talking about something that happened in the Old Testament. On Mount Sinai, if you know the story, on Mount Sinai, Moses requested to see the glory of God, the radiance, the outshining of God's presence. And the Lord did not deny the request. The Lord was not irritated by that. No, you're asking too much now. But the Lord said to him, I'll pass by you. But then he said, but you cannot see my face. You, you cannot see my face. You, know, you can see my hand. You can see my foot, that type of thing. But you cannot, you can see my back, but you cannot see my face. For no man can see my face and live. Now, why, why would God say that? Because his face is the source of his glory. In other words, God is glorious. His presence is radiant. You know, the, the, the manifested presence of God is, is tangible like lightning. But you can't see his face because that's where the power is most intense. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. And it's interesting, when God instructed Moses how to bless the children of Israel, he, he made him recite this word, these words, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Well, can the Lord just, you know, move with his arm for me? Can the Lord just touch me with his hand? No, that's something that's much, much more powerful than that. May the Lord just look your direction in glory. Because that's the source. That's the source right there. And... When Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining with the glory of God. He was changed. Just like God's face is radiant, Moses' face was shining with God's glory. So that means in a measure, through that experience, through that encounter, he is now a little bit like God. He didn't say, oh God, make my face shine. He just said, oh God, I want to see you. I want to be with you. But in the process, he was changed. Praise the Lord. And he didn't even realize it at first. He didn't know it. When he came down from the mountain, people are hiding under the chairs. They're, they're, they're covering their faces. They're afraid. And he doesn't even know what's going on. And that means God can change you. God can transform you. And you don't even realize it's happening. See, it doesn't say in Moses just felt something. I don't know what he felt. He, he, he was evidently not even aware of what had happened to him. You may not even be aware what's happening to you in this service, but I'm telling you, when you come down from the mountain, you're going to meet the people in the valley, and I assure you, they're going to notice there's a change. I see the glory of God in your life. Praise the Lord. The Amplified Bible, the classic version of the Amplified Bible says this, and all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image 
in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. But notice that. We continue to behold in the Word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. God did not give us His Word just so Pastor John would have something to talk about on Wednesday night. He did not give us His Word so that children would have something to memorize or would help them to learn the alphabet. The Word reflects Christ's image into our hearts. I said the Word reflects the image of Christ into our hearts. We need daily to have a Mount Sinai experience. We, as believers, daily, we need to have a Mount Sinai experience where the presence of God becomes more real to us and changes our hearts. Glory to God. But unlike Moses who was embarrassed, we should not try to cover this up, but we should let this light shine brightly because the people in the valley need to see it. They're not going to come up onto the mountaintop. They can't come up, but we got to go down in the valley to them and let the radiance of God be seen. The Greek word for beholding, to behold as in a mirror, the Greek word also means to reflect, to reflect. The word itself is like a mirror. We see Christ in it. And then others see his reflection in us. So at the same time as the word reflects the image of Christ... When you read the Gospels, it's not just an interesting story. It's painting for you the portrait of the man from Galilee, the Word made flesh. So we see it in the book of Acts. So we see it in the epistles. It's all about him. He is the central figure. Christ is all and in you all. It's all about him. That's why in the last book he said, I am the alpha and I am the omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. I started this thing and I'm going to finish this thing. It's all about him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But not only does the word reflect Christ to our hearts and changes us, but then being changed, we reflect Christ to this world so that they can be changed too. And this process of becoming more and more like Christ happens by degrees in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. So that means you shouldn't stop halfway through the process. You shouldn't become self-satisfied. Oh, God's done a great thing in my life. Well, that's wonderful. Oh, we had, a, we had a marvelous revival in our church back in 1980. Okay, great. You know, um, oh, wonderful how the Lord moved yesterday. And, uh, and then we just kind of get happy with that. And, but we need to keep experiencing more because God needs to change us more because there's a world that needs to see that change more. So we're going to move from one degree of splendor to the next. That means, it, you know, that means it gets better and it gets better. That means this journey is not a downward spiral. It just gets worse and worse. That's how sin is. But this is an upward journey. It just gets better and better and better and better. Hallelujah. So as we look at your old photograph... From 1990, we should say, oh, I pity that poor fellow. What a, what a slovenly soldier of Christ he was. But see how God in his grace has changed this man. Hallelujah. You should be better tomorrow than you are today. Amen. Now, when people, and we're not thinking of anyone in particular now, but when people use cigarettes, their clothes and their hair are tainted with the smell of smoke. In other words, they think nobody knows that they went behind the building and smoked, but you know, when we're around them, we know right away, hey, this guy smokes, <laughs> right? 
When people consume alcohol, the smell of liquor is on their breath. They think nobody knows, but everybody knows. We see that red nose, we smell that bad breath, we know what happened. You know, we, don't, we didn't have to be there. We know, we know where you were, we know what you did. When we breathe in, come on folks, when we breathe in the atmosphere of heaven through prayer and worship, the fragrance of Christ permeates our being. People, don't, they don't have to know where we went or what we did. They're just with us and they can tell, you have been with the Lord. There's something about you that smells good. Hallelujah. It's better than Chanel, number five. It's better, it's better than any fragrance you can buy in the mall. It's the fragrance of Christ. Woo. You know, people, you walk through the mall, I don't know about here, I guess it's that way here, but you know, in some of the larger cities, you walk through the mall and you always, I personally always, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, I sort of, I'm hesitant to walk through the, the section where they sell the cologne and the perfumes, cause, you know, or in the airport, like in Delhi, because there's like a hundred people who work there just waiting to pounce on you. Hello, sir, may I help you? Hello, hello. come, please come here, you know, and, and they want me to try on every fragrance they have, you know, and, and here's this one, and here's that one, and, you know, and, and they all have interesting names, passion. <laughs> you know, alluring names that, you know, if I, if I smell like this, everybody will like me, you know. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll attract people like, like flies to honey, you know, and all this thing. Like that. None, of them say, none of them say manure. Oh, wow. No, no, they all have like these provocative, evocative names like that. And people buy that. Some of them, uh, me too. But, but they're, they're not cheap. They're not cheap. Sometimes, you know, you want to buy something for your wife, it's like one ounce, you know, and it's like, you know, 60,000 rupees or something. You're like, oh, what can I get? What can, how about a one, one liter, how, you know, for just 10 rupees? I'll take that one. <laughs> but here's something that's better. The fragrance of Christ. And it's free. Free for you. Not free for the one who gave it. Hallelujah. Smells better than any cologne you ever put on your cheeks, but in, in any perfume, I'm telling you, whoo, there's nothing in Paris that can compare to this. And even if we don't notice, or maybe even we're just accustomed to it, others will. I, I, I went somewhere uh, a couple of years ago and uh, getting a medical checkup, actually, and the guy's taking my temperature or something, and he says, ooh, what you wearing? I was kind of worried he might be, you know. <laughs> I was in a restaurant with my wife. We were actually, uh, I think we were leaving, and some guy walked up to me and said, hey, what is that? Makes you nervous. But, uh, you know, I think he was just impressed. And, uh, you know, people will notice when you're wearing nice cologne. You know, if you smell like just armpit, they'll notice that too. But they, but they don't want it. They won't say, oh, they won't ask you what is that. They know. <laughs> But when you smell like Christ, the fragrance of heaven, glory to God, hallelujah, when we partake of the living word, the aroma of God saturates our souls. It's impossible to spend time with God, real time with God, and be unchanged. Now, you can spend a lot of religious time and come out even worse than you went in, <laughs> but you cannot spend time with God, real time with God, and be unchanged. Whew, hallelujah. We imitate him by being with him. Imit the imitation of Christ doesn't mean that you grow a beard. Some of you are trying, but nah, give it up. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you ride a donkey. The Pharisees had donkeys too. Doesn't mean that, 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 that you wear Roman sandals. That, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. It means that his life, his nature, his presence is seen in you. The closer we get, the longer we wait, the more we are changed. The closer we get, you know, when there's a fire in your kitchen 
on a winter's day, if you sit on the other side of the room, you know, you hardly feel anything. You sit a little closer and you, your toes get nice and toasty, but you get right up in that, close to that fire and I tell you, it's, it, it's so, your whole face just turns red. You have a little Mount Sinai experience yourself. You know? Your whole face just gets red. You feel the warmth even in your bones. Well, how close do you want to get to the fire of God? Some people are content to sit on their mirror in the corner of the room, figuratively speaking. Some people, you know, they don't want to be the, the guy that's sitting closest. They let some of it, somebody else sit closer than me. And the longer we wait, I mean to say the longer we wait in his presence, the more we are changed, the deeper the work in us. That's why, and I know you're going to hate me for saying this, but that's why it's a mistake to be in a hurry. I know you're, some of you are worried about that. How long is he going to preach then? <laughs> but but it, there's a truth there. That's why it's a mistake to always be in a hurry or to be hasty. Like, come on, come on, we, we, got, we got to finish this message. Uh, oh, come on, we, got to, we, got to, we all got to go out in the foyer and have a tea right now. Oh, we all got to go home. Well, we, we, come on, come on, come on, don't, don't take too long. Come on, come on, come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, so that we can all go home and spend six hours in front of the television. <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the time, and, and I'm aware of people's uh, feelings, but I'm just saying in general, it's a mistake. I think that's where some seeker-friendly churches have missed the boat. Let's have it real quick. Yeah, little, little, two, song, two, two, two little songs, nothing wrong with singing two songs. Two, <laughs> two, a little quick, little quick praise and worship, a little quick sermonette, everybody goes home, smokes a cigarette. No, 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 no. We need the presence of God to saturate us, permeate us, soak us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And not just here, at home too. Amen. Now it says, a disciple is an imitator of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says to imitate God as beloved children. In what way, in what way are we to imitate God? Ephesians 5 verse 2 says this, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So it says we should imitate God not just as children or his children, but as his beloved children. The children that he loves the children who have experienced his love. And then we are to love others as the Lord loves us. Now, people in, in, in the natural realm, they often do something that's wrong, you know, and then they make an excuse for it by saying, that was the way I was raised. You know, right? They, they, they speak uh, vulgarities, uh, you know, crudely, they, they do something wrong, you know, they're, 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 they're rough, they're rude, maybe, I don't know, whatever, you know, uh, they're, they're insensitive or, or maybe they're overly sensitive. And then they say, well, that was the way I was raised. That was my experience growing up. But for the follower of Christ, he is in a new family and he himself has been taught by Christ so now he can love even as Christ loved him. And if others say, it's so amazing how you're able to forgive others. You say, that's how I was raised in the family of God. That may not be my natural family, but that's my spiritual family. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Listen, there's one more point that I want to hit on. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. It's a really important point. A disciple 
not only follows the pattern of Christ, he follows the example of other dedicated believers. The us in this verse is Paul and Silas and Timothy, people in his company, the people who first went to Thessalonica and preached the gospel to those folks. A disciple not only follows the pattern of Christ, he follows the example of other dedicated believers. That means, and this may be a new thought for you, but you need to consider this, that means to be like Christ, we not only need the Scriptures and the Spirit, we need godly mentors. You became imitators of us, and of the Lord. To be like Christ, we need more than the Scriptures and the Spirit. We also need godly mentors. People are not discipled only by learning the truth. They must also see the truth exemplified. As vital as prayer and the study of the Word is, and we're in no way minimizing that. We just got through talking about that. But as vital as prayer and the study of the Word is, that's not enough. I said that's not enough. Not enough for us to become all that God has destined us to be. We must recognize and value the leaders and godly examples that the Lord has brought into our lives. Here's another scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The same word, same Greek word. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It sounds really impressive. It sounds really spiritual to say, hey, I'm not following anybody. Just Jesus. But of course, that's not true. Sounds nice, it's just not true. Oh, I'm not following any man. I'm just following the Lord. Sounds nice, but it's not true. It's not true. It's not true in your life. It's not true in anybody's life. The Apostle Paul himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, told these believers in Corinth, imitate me. Oh, how dare he say such a thing? But he said, as I am of Christ, as I follow me, as I follow Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Oh, yeah, that's in the Bible. He said the same thing. You must have godly examples in your life to follow. And God knows that before you knew it, and he brings the right people into your life. I heard Brother Mark Hankins say this, there are some things you are not going to learn just in your bedroom in prayer and study of the word. There's some things, if God has called you to be in a relationship with another ministry, another minister, there's some things you're only going to get through that other person. You're not going to get it otherwise. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, he said. Now, we can only follow others as they follow Christ. If they stop following Christ, we don't follow that. And we should not follow that. Many sincere Christians have followed the wrong person, the wrong minister, the wrong ministry. They followed the wrong person to their own detriment and ruin. So we're not just saying, follow everybody. No, 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 no. God brings the right person. We need godly examples godly mentors into our life. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. So if they don't speak to you the word of God, they're not leaders. 
Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's the same Greek word, imitate their faith. But before we copy their faith, we must consider the outcome of the way they have lived. Some people don't consider anything. Friends, not all that glitters is gold. Just because somebody's got a big ministry, that doesn't mean that, that what they're preaching or the way they live even is right. I've mentioned this before, but, you know, um, and I'm not trying to be unkind, you know, and I'm not calling somebody's name or something. I don't remember this person's name, but, you know, um, there, was, there, there is one man who's, who has a large ministry in another country, you know, uh, on another continent. And a lot of uh, some folks, you know, his, I think some of his videos and stuff, they, they were, maybe they still are, you know, popular. And I know that others were like sharing the videos and, you know, and it's all, it's all very spectacular. It's always, you know, like here's this demon, we're casting out all these demons and it's, and, and I, don't misunderstand me, I believe in the supernatural, but this seems to be, well, heavily strong on showiness and, and kind of weak in other areas, but I wasn't sure. I have a friend that lives in that country, ministry friend. So, so I, I, I contacted him online, you know. And I said, have you heard of this person? Oh, yes, I know him personally. What do you say about his ministry? Because some people here in Naglan seem to like his ministry. And I thought my friend, my ministry friend, I thought he would say something to this. I expected something like, he's pretty good, but once in a while he gets a little bit off or something. That's what I expected him to say. He didn't say that. He said, Brother John, I personally do not believe this man is even born again. I was like, whoa, whoa. Excuse me? <laughs> he said, I, I am not persuaded that he is even saved. And I said, well, that's, uh, that's not what I expected you to say. He says, yeah. And he went on to explain, he, you, he, you can never hear his testimony of salvation. He claims he got saved in his mother's womb. Wrong answer. That the Bible doesn't teach that at all. He didn't get born again in his mother's room. Oh, mother's room. Mother's, yeah, the mother's room. His mother's womb. <laughs> you know, and, and he went on to share some things like that. I was really surprised. And yet this is very popular. I don't know if it still is. Maybe it isn't. But, you know, maybe even it's spectacular. But if the guy who's teaching and preaching, we're not even sure he's saved. Are you going to follow that person? Why would you follow someone whose life ends in shipwreck? You know, I, I tell the story that when I was a student years ago, I, I used to deliver office supplies after school, and I had to go by this one building, and there was a house. It was all, uh, you know, the glass, some of the windows were broken, the door was kind of busted, the, the grass in the compound was like, you know, knee high and all, you know, rough looking, hasn't been tended to, and, and some of the shingles on the roof are kind of like fallen, it's just kind of dilapidated. And there's a sign in front of the house that says, spiritual counsel available inside. I think it even said something like healing prosperity. I don't know who lives there, but when I look at the house, I'm kind of thinking, I don't want to go to that person for advice. Why would I take advice from someone whose life is in a mess? I have enough messes of my own. I don't need any more messes. Consider the outcome. It's popular. That, that's not considering the outcome. Everybody bought that book. This is not considering the outcome. He's on his third wife. <laughs> then that, 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 that's, that's concerning. You know, if you think he's really a man of God, talk to his first three wives. <laughs> they might have something to say about it. Hallelujah. A friend of mine, a ministry friend of mine, and I don't mean this to be unkind, okay? I'm just trying to help you. A uh, ministry friend of mine, this was several years ago, maybe, maybe, maybe seven, eight, nine years ago, I don't know. And uh, he lives in another part of, uh, uh, he doesn't live in Nagaland or Northeast at all, okay? He's, he's not from around here. And he attended a meeting. And there was a certain minister there that preached. And this man in his message, in his ministry, he had some 
pretty, uh, I'm going to say fantastic stories. And I use the word fantastic purposefully. I mean, just like way over the top type stuff. Supposedly, he's raised a hundred people from the dead. By the way, I, I did a little investigation. I, now, don't misunderstand me. See, if you say that, people think, oh, you don't believe God can do that. Or, or you don't believe in the supernatural. No, no, I, I do, I do, I do, I do. But I also don't believe in exaggeration. And I don't believe in lying. And I don't believe you need to lie to impress people. And I, and I checked online. I don't know, you know, can't, it's hard to tell when you go online. But I, was, I noticed there was, there was a bunch of people who live in the same country where that minister based his ministry, and they said this. They said, if 100 people had been raised from the dead where he lives, I'm telling you, every newspaper in the country would be talking about it, and they're not. And we can't find anybody that can say, yep, I was dead, and I was raised back to life through this man's ministry. We can't find anybody that will testify about that. That, that would kind of be a little bit concerning. And, and some of the testimonies are really bizarre. I mean, way off, way out there. I mean, I'm open-minded. Okay, I'm open-minded, but I'm not so open-minded that my brains fall out. And in my heart, also, I felt like, mm, I'm not sure about this. I, I'm not sure about this. Furthermore, I noticed in my friend, who's someone that I deeply love and respect, he seemed to have a, an unhealthy restlessness. There's, there's a genuine sense of like wanting more of God and all that stuff thing, but, it, but it's not like a, a sense of, 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 of being driven and you're trying to force God to do something and we're going to fast for three weeks until God does something. No, 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 no. That's the wrong spirit. You're not going to force God to do nothing he don't want to do. That's wrong. You get in that vein, you get, you, you, you get hold of the wrong spirit. You're not going to make God do anything. Huh? You're wasting your time to try to do that. And you don't need to do that. You just need to obey him. Do what he asked you to do. Don't go beyond that. Amen? Did God tell you to fast for three weeks? No, but we're going to do it. No, 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 no. We want to get closer to God. You may get closer than you thought. <laughs> you may get real close. We'll all go to your funeral. <laughs> Don't do what he didn't ask you to do. That, that's not being spiritual. That's being excessive. That's being dangerous. And, and not only that, but I noticed that, that this, this fellow, like, and he's someone that I respect, but like, I observed that it didn't really help his ministry. And I didn't really see like God really was moving and people were being blessed. And I felt like there was this anxiousness. There was this restlessness. There was this something that's just not right. It's not right. You can go to the wrong meeting, and it can mess you up. I said, you can go to the wrong meeting. I'm not telling you where to go, where not to go. I'm, I'm, I'm not aware of any special meetings happening right now. There's nothing happening right now. But, but I'm just saying in general, you can, I know people that went to the wrong meeting, and it set them back, in my opinion, several years. I know some people read the wrong book, and it set them back several years. Amen. Hallelujah. Before you swallow something holy completely, you might consider the outcome. You might check up a little bit on who the person is. While I'm on the subject, you have to earn the right to speak into people's lives. Some people think that they fancy themselves as a prophet, and they think that gives them permission to just tell everybody else what to do. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Who on earth gave you that idea? Well, it's the anointing. No, there's another word. It's called pride. Stinking pride. Amen. I've had people in times past, it doesn't happen now very, very rarely. I don't think it ever happens now. But in times past where somebody shows up and they want to, you know, they want to tell me what to do. And I just tell them, you know, if you go through that main gate, it'll take you to the main road. <laughs> I don't know you. I don't know anything. I don't even know if you're saved. I don't know anything about you. You have to earn the right to speak into people's lives. Someone that I know, someone that I have observed the outcome of their way of living, somebody that I respect. And, I, and you know, other people have the Holy Ghost too. Some people who fancy themselves as a prophet, I guess it never dawned on them that other people have the Holy Ghost too. And they can check on the inside and know, that's not right. 
Amen. Well, let me just say this more since we're on the topic. Even if you really are called to a prophetic ministry, I wouldn't tell anybody about it. What would be the advantage of doing that? I wouldn't tell anybody about it. Just go ahead and minister as God would have you minister. And if other people start calling you a prophet, well, that's between them and God, but I wouldn't go around advertising it. Because you can put a, a label on an empty bottle that doesn't put anything in the bottle. Oh, I'm a prophet. Yes, I'm a prophet. And what they really mean is you have to do what I say and you have to stand in awe of me. Well, this is a nonprofit organization. <laughs> I believe in prophets. Don't misunderstand me. I believe, I believe in miracles. I really do. But I don't believe in fake. And there are no 20-year-old prophets. I said there are no 22-year-old prophets. Just write it down. There are none. Oh, no. Brother Zama Zama. Uh, don't tell me about Brother Zama Zama. Tell me about the Bible. Look at people like Paul. He stood in the office of prophet, but he didn't get saved today and tomorrow. He's prophet Paul. Got his business card. <laughs> he walked with God for years and years in, in isolation or, or in obscurity. Nobody you know, really paid much attention to him. The light's not on him. Faithfully just serving God, preaching wherever the door opened long before he stepped into that ministry. Hallelujah. Just calling yourself something doesn't make it so. Well, I'm a prophet. Well, you could just easily say, I'm an astronaut. <laughs> that don't mean nothing. Don't do that. Like I said, if, if God really called you to something like that, well, you just obey God and do what he told you to do. And if others see those characteristics and qualities in you and they say, well, I think he really has this type of a ministry. Well, fine. Don't, don't worry about that. that. That's not your concern. That's what I would say to you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Don't follow people who lead you away from the truth. Don't follow ministries that you find yourself having less faith. You find yourself less, less in love with Jesus. Don't follow that. Listen to me. I have nothing but disdain for a ministry that intentionally tries to pull people out of this church. I have nothing but disdain for any so-called ministry that is intentionally trying to pull people out of this church. Oh, join, join our ministry. Join our work. We're trying to impact the nations. We're trying to reach the world. Isn't every ministry? What, you, you're the only one? You're, you're, that one's the unique and only one? Isn't every ministry trying to impact the nations and reach the world? What makes yours so different and special? Huh? If God called you, you don't have to resort to unethical methods. I said if God called you to something, you don't have to resort to unethical methods. I believe God can increase your ministry. I, got, I believe God can increase your church without you being a sheep thief. So, well, you know, other people from other churches came to your church, but I never intentionally pulled anybody out of anybody's church. I never wrote them a letter saying, everybody come to Spirit of Faith. You have to come to our church. You know, this is where I'm never. No, I, I'm, I, I'm not bashful about what I believe God is doing here, but I never, ever, I not so much now, but in past times, I preached in lots of different local churches. I never, I never tried to pull those people out of that church to come here. I never did that. Why? Because I want to live a long time. And you start fooling around with stuff like that, it'll shorten your life. I've been in churches in America. You don't mind if I just get on my soapbox. I've been in churches in America where I, I felt like I could have stood up there and told everybody, your pastor's an idiot. He's a knothead. He, he don't know the apostles from the epistles. He thinks the epistles are the apostles' wives. He doesn't know nothing. <laughs> You're an idiot to go to this church. You're a fool. To, I, I could have said that, and sometimes I wanted to say it, but I never, 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 ever dared say something like that in another man's church. If I couldn't think of something nice to say, at least I would say, I'm so honored that you invited me. <laughs> 
Why? Because I'm not trying to hurt somebody else's ministry. Hmm? I'm not trying to steal some, some, I'm not trying to steal some other man's labors. That's wrong. People in Nagaland need to know a little something about ministerial ethics and integrity. You can't lie and expect God to bless you. You can't be a, a, a thief and expect God to bless you. That's, that's not the right way. You don't need to do that. If God called you, he'll also call other people to work with you and come alongside you. Let him call them. Be imitators, he said. Be, he said, be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. I want to say this. God, I've been so fortunate. God has brought into my life pastors, ministry leaders, and, and, I, and I value that relationship. And, and, and I make it a point to express my gratitude to them. I'm not saying this because I want something from you, okay? Don't, don't try to figure this one out too hard. I'm just telling you, I, I value those relationships and I appreciate them. Does it mean I always agree with every single thing they say? No. No, Paul and Barnabas didn't agree on everything. So I, I don't, but, but I appreciate that. And I recognize God brought this person into my life to help me. And I appreciate that. Amen? Amen? And then we come for full circle. You, you imitate Christ through, through, the, through the word by the spirit. You learn by observing the example of others so that you yourself can be an example. Because every disciple should be a disciple maker.